This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the No Name Ever podcast. I'm Jamie Smith and joining me today are Kevin, Natalie and James to talk about a Derby Day victory over Blackburn Rovers. Before, But before we get into analysing the game and exactly what it means, um, a special feature on the podcast. I recommend you maybe turn your volume down a little bit for this, but Natalie was reporting from the match. This is what Natalie made of the game. OK, so it's Derby Day and we are on our way to Turf Moor. We're feeling pretty nervous if we're quite honest um, fingers crossed that we'll get a Burnley victory it's, it's points over pride but oh, we're scared ok so we're now at the ground and it's pre-match we are about 10 minutes from kickoff. Um, as you can hear the crowd are pretty vocal everyone's feeling a little bit jittery um, so Let's do this. I'll catch up with you about midway through the first half. Get in! Andre has scored a penalty! We are 15 minutes into the game and we are 1-0 ahead. Get in! So, half-time analysis here at Turf Moor. It's 1-0 to Burnley. Andre Gray, penalty. A uh, bit of a strange half, actually. Um, I think they probably edged it a little bit in midfield they seem to have muscled us out in midfield a little bit um, but they haven't really looked like creating anything up front um, we need a second goal really to kill this game off um, everybody's a bit nervous and uh, we'll see what the second half brings and as you can hear the team have just come back on the pitch oh, so we're halfway through the second half now and it's a really really tense affair Burnley have really really underperformed in the second half and as you can hear the them, but we're going to be really lucky if we keep a clean sheet here so we've just got to hang on it feels like we're, we're kind of stretching for a point rather than uh, sorry stretching for this 1-0 lead rather than trying to push on for a second so nervy times at Turf Moor let's see what we can do So that was Natalie's assessment of how the match went at Turf Moor. You can turn your volume back up now that Natalie's finished. Um, James, we talked last week about it being points over over pride, but can you put into words what it means for so many people to see Burnley beat Rovers in the flesh for the first time? Oh, it was magnificent, wasn't it? That was personally my first, first time seeing us beat them in the flesh. Um and you know the, the last few minutes, particularly, were quite quite nerve wracking as we we didn't make it easy. We definitely did it the Burnley way, um, but it's just just such a you know good experience to finally see it, and it was in front of a full house as well. So you know it was a great day all round. Natalie, the match itself wasn't much of a spectacle. To be fair, I can't imagine anyone watching on Sky enjoyed it, but to be a fan involved in one of those encounters, those are the days you remember, aren't they? Definitely. Um, I think at the end of the game, you. You almost forget straight away how you know bad badly performed it. It's quite a strange 
analysis to look back at a game like a derby because any other team and we would be um you know quite rightly picking that game to pieces and potentially worrying about um, a very lackluster performance and a possible nervous performance but for some reason because it's the derby we don't care and we just think well we'll just take the points we don't care and actually it makes it better that we play badly and still beat them it certainly contributes to the bitterness from the the Rovers fans, I think that's that's heightened the enjoyment of, of some Burnley fans, if anything. Uh, Kevin, we got the early goal, which you'd normally expect to settle the nerves a little bit, but it, it didn't really do that, did it? Um, I'm not sure, actually. I think, it, obviously, it's it's, it's it's never... You could be freeing a up and you're probably still going to feel uh, a bag of nerves. But I, I, I felt a lot more comfortable after the goal went in. I think it's purely because... We're very, very good at defending lead, uh, our lead. I think I can't think of many times we've we've let a lead slip this season. Um, and despite all their pressure, I felt relatively, rel- I say relatively comfortable um, after the goal. And relatively is the key word there because it was still absolutely terrifying, uh, and my stomach was still churning throughout the whole match. But I think it was quite nice. Do you know, in some ways, it was nice to get the early goal. She felt a little bit more comfortable because because we are so good at defending leads. Um, but I think in other ways, it kind of maybe ruined, ruined the game a little bit. In that, um, I think once once that goal went in, we were we were very happy. But I think you might have had a bit more of an open game and a slightly more entertaining game, perhaps if we hadn't scored so early on. But listen, to me, I'm not going to complain at all for scoring that goal um, and winning the game. Um, it was it was it, it's got other points. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. I think um, from a, a Burnley point of view, going ahead was ideal at such an early point because we were always going to be confident of being able to keep a clean sheet. I certainly felt a bit more relaxed but the atmosphere at the turf was, was quite jumpy wasn't it Natalie? You'd expect a a party atmosphere going top of the league beating Rovers but for the first half in particular with Rovers on top it, it seemed quite edgy. The whole ground seemed edgy not just the fans in the stands but I think the players on the pitch for me seemed to be really nervy as well. Um my analysis of it might be slightly different to yours in that I actually think that the goal going ahead really affected negatively the performance on the pitch. It almost felt to me that as soon as they went ahead, they were terrified of losing that lead. Um, and it wasn't, you know, up until the goal, they were playing freely, they were playing relaxed. And, I, you know, I, I wasn't concerned in any way. And I thought that, you know, I wasn't concern that we were going to lose but the minute the goal went in it was almost like they went into the shell a little bit and were and thought well this is it now as long as we don't concede we've won the game it felt like the pressure had got to them a little bit because of the goal I think it was it was just the occasion I mean we heard from from the manager and from players like Barton before the game that they were going to treat it like any other match but that's just what you say isn't it everyone knows that it's not just another match I think that obviously filtered through to the players um, in terms of team selection James we talked last week about Keane and Tarkovsky and who might get the nod Dash went with Keane, admitted it was a difficult decision, was was there any surprise that he dro- essentially dropped Tarkovsky after he'd done very little wrong in his two or three games not really, I think it comes down doesn't it to um, the, the two different philosophies you can't lose your spot to injury and you don't change a winning team, I think it, you know, it was difficult and which one do you put before the other um, and, you know, arguably, Keane's not put a foot wrong all season. So I think for me, you know, over the course of the season so far, he'd earned, um, you know, his spot to, to to get it back after coming back from injury. The penalty itself, a, a bit of a strange one in a way in that the Rovers player sort of unwittingly fouled George Boyd, maybe went to clear the ball and George Boyd's leg had appeared in the way. Um, any doubts over it at all, Kevin? Was it a fair award? And were you a bit surprised to see Andre Gareth step up, given that he's missed a penalty recently? Um, no, it was it was definitely the right the right decision. I think it was almost uh, again it was one of those strange little things that make it a little bit more sweeter. Was the fact that the Rovers player just looked so confident, so comfortable player. Looked he looked really happy just to just to kick it away like it's just any old ball, and then just looked down and George George Boyd's uh, down on the floor. Um, which made it a little, just a little bit more humorous, um, I think. Um, I wasn't surprised to see Gray come up. I think he's, he's obviously a very, um, a very confident player, and particularly after um, scoring a couple of goals at um, a couple of goals at Bolton, he's got a bit of confidence back. Maybe after a few games without a goal, so no, I've, I've, strikers 
strikers score goals. That's what we do. And um, I was, yeah, I wasn't surprised at all. See him stand up and and, and get the take the penalty. The only reason I asked was because we we talked recently on the podcast about what we thought was the agreement where Volks was the designated penalty taker unless Gray was fouled, but evidently that's not the case because Gray wasn't the one fouled. Um, Nastly, with the goal coming as it did, but then Rovers having a really good spell before half-time, Tom Heaton made a couple of really good saves. Was that a pivotal period in the game for you just before half-time when Heaton made those two saves within a couple of minutes? It wasn't. It wasn't. To be honest, um, you look you look back at the the highlights of the game, and you look at, at sort of the analysis on on certain media outlets, and it looks like it's all set up to be you know really nervy and think, oh god, you know that was such a key turning point. But there was no point in the game, even when they were at their most pressing and they looked the most dangerous there was still no point in the game where I ever felt like they were going to score I always felt confident that it was it was good I mean I would have loved to have got a second one just to kill the game off but it it always felt like if they were going to nick one it was going to be some weird fluke goal like a a set piece or a you know an own goal or something that just you know a fluke goal that came out of nowhere so I really wasn't that nervous to be honest yeah, I think that's that's what I was saying earlier about being being quite comfortable after the after goal went in. I think and that's why, because they despite all the ball they had, they never ever looked like doing anything like it. And I think they they they, they felt like a lot of team a team just full of lots of players with presence, but no players who can make something work, make something happen, do something with their feet. Uh and with the with the way we were packing the penalty box, uh, certainly in the second half, that's the sort of player they really needed. And I think they're they, they just had nobody in their team who could threaten the way we were playing, and that's why we were so comfortable, I think. Rovers were quite well organised. I thought Hope Akpan had quite a good game in midfield, especially in the first half when, when Rovers were probably um, a bit more in control of that midfield area. But yeah, I think you're right. Creatively, they just don't have a lot in there. Danny Graham is not going to be that much of a threat unless you get the right sort of balls into the box and they didn't really do that. Um, James, obviously the win sends us to the, the top of the league. Uh, there's still quite a long way to go. Is it 12 games to go and there's the fixtures on, on Tuesday coming up as well? But is this the sort of result that can really assert the confidence in the squad and ensure that we do go on and close out what now we're in the prime seat to do? And that's go on and win promotion. Yeah, I think this was really a lot bigger for the fans than it is the players. You know, I think the players believe that that they can get automatic promotion as it is. But obviously a big win over our biggest rivals is so, so big for the fans and in front of a full crowd as well. You'd think that this could now bring in some bigger attendances you know, to finish the season. And if the crowd can really get behind the players, then obviously that could be the push we need that, that helps them maintain winning these games where we've not been the better side um, because that's so important, isn't it? The teams that win. We've talked about how on the pitch it was quite a close battle, but... Mentally, Kevin Burnley seemed to have more. Joey Barton was particularly good in the second half, winning a lot of balls as he always does, but dragging the team through and making sure that we won, as he's been doing since he signed for us. Definitely, yeah. and I think like James was saying, though, it's such a big occasion. But even if even if the team are, you know, Dice has obviously done a very good job at making them feel like it's just any other game, but it's it's not any other game. And like I think you know. Barton and a few players have mentioned that it's not just any other game, um, particularly with uh, the way it could affect our promotion challenge. It made it such a bigger occasion. But I think we we deal with, we've dealt with that really well. I think we played with, uh, with our bodies on fire and our, our heads in the fridge almost. Um, we were we were kind of brave as a chicken. So yeah, I think we, we dealt with it really well. Another classic dashism to go in the folder of classic dashisms: body on fire, head in the fridge. I'm sorry, I couldn't keep quiet then. That was pretty amusing. That's tickled me. I've come up with some stuff. Um, Natalie, one of the highlights that I suppose will live long in the memory as well. I don't know if you noticed it at the time, but Joey Barton was doing the, the TV reaction with Sky on the pitch and went and gave a bit of a wave and a clap to the Rovers fans in the away end, which is classic, classic Barton being a bit provocative. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, and it was it was just perfect. I was still in the ground when uh, when he did that, so we were just waiting for. Uh, I think there were still some of the players 
doing the the clap of honor around the the pitch and we saw him started to do it and he did it it was so clear and the ground just erupted it was absolutely hilarious i love that guy it was just the best thing ever just the little two nil signs and the the generous clap it was brilliant we talked last week about heroes and it, it wasn't really a game for that was it we scored the winner with a penalty obviously gray will go down in history books as a guy who scored the first winner at Turf Moor against Rovers in decades, but a penalty doesn't live long in the memory like that. Do you think Barton is, is one that will be remembered as, as the leader in this team? Absolutely. He has cemented himself this season as a real leader on the pitch. Um, I was discussing this with a couple of fans after the game on Saturday. My personal view is I think he's lining Barton up to be captain. I think he will, if he signs for us next season, which it looks you know, all the signs are saying that he's going to. Um, I think he will drop Heaton as captain and hand the armband over to Joey. I think he's proved he's a leader. He's already taking on that role around the ground and around the club anyway. Um, I would not be surprised at all to see him with the captain's armband next season. That's controversial. You feel that that'd be a little bit harsh on, uh, on Heaton? Yeah. It would, and I'm not. I'm not saying that that's what I, I would do. I'm just saying that's what it feels like to me. Um, I think he can, if he was going to do that. I think Deitch could justify it in some respects to say to Heaton that he would prefer an outfield player as a captain, just because it's it is quite rare to have a keeper as a captain, and because they, you know they, they do prefer to have somebody. Uh, as an outfield, sorry, they prefer to have an outfield player. So I'm not saying that that's what I would do or what I think he should do. What I'm saying is, is that I just feel like that's where this is heading. I'd, I'd be surprised really to see Dash do something that I think would be seen as, um, you know, maybe a locker room disturbance like that. Particularly as I think the captaincy now is more ceremonial than than significant on the pitch. Really, you know, Dash would say he's got eleven leaders rather than than just one. Um, and really, all Heaton does is you know go for the coin toss, take the pictures of the mascots, and and that's really what the captain does now, rather than be the sole leader on the pitch. Because I think we've seen that already that Barton, you know, leads when uh, Overstad comes on and he has words with people. We had a word with Tarkovsky when he first came on um, for his debut. So I, I think I don't know. I would be surprised to see Dash make a change to the captaincy. I I, I agree. I think um, if if. Heaton was to leave the club, then Barton would be the obvious choice to take over. Um, but yeah, I don't see Dash making a swap. And I think James is right. It's largely ceremonial, the armband these days. And Barton can be a leader without having the, the elastic band around his his bicep that really I don't think makes that much difference. Um, Kevin, was it the fact that we have players like Barton and, and Keane and Heaton, leaders on the pitch, do you think that was one of the big differences between the sides? Rovers didn't seem to... They had quite a young side and not a lot of players with that sort of big game experience, I felt. Um, yeah, yeah. I think I think players who players like that are always going to be key in this type of game. Um, particularly, you've got pl- those players who've got that real fire in the belly, which um, I, 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 I not, don't know too much about Blackburn, but I, I don't think any of, our, any of their players... I don't think it seemed to mean... As much to them as it did to some of our players, and particularly you know, got Heaton who who grew up around these players. So he knows all what he's all what the, what the game's about. Um, Michael Keane, he's been on both sides of the of the divide, um, so he knows a lot more than, than some players as well. You've, when you've got players like um, like Arfield, I think he's a he's a real clout now. He know he knows everything what it is, uh, and, and like you said, the players like Barton, who's who's played in lots of different types of games like this, he's got a lot of experience um, at a much higher level. Um, and he knows a lot about the controversies of the game as well. And it's those different characters not who bring very different things um, in very different ways to the team, um, which all contribute particularly in a game like this. In terms of, of what it means to the, the league then, obviously Middlesbrough played on, on Friday night, Natalie, to go back to the top, which left us chasing, whereas, whereas we've been leading for the last couple of weeks, so... Do you think it was really important to get back to the top spot going into these two away games? Yes, of course. Um, we've put ourselves in a position now with the results this week and with Hull not taking advantage of their game in hand. I appreciate that this is unlikely to happen in reality, but the maths say that the the title is now 100% in our hands. If we win all of our games between 
saying now on the end of the season we win the league as champions. Um, so what what more can you do than you know if we'd have lost on on Saturday we'd have had the slightly. I don't know if it would be enough to derail us completely because that's just telling us that the you know the derby wasn't a key factor and it was just another game. But it is you know you can't help but think it was going to have some sort of effect on the club and with some key games coming up, you you do wonder whether or not they'd have been able to to get back on it and start that run again. You know, Dasha said this to us before winning getting into that winning habit is a good habit to get into and it just feels like at the moment that we're never going to lose even when we play badly. I think it has a big psychological edge as well because it keeping our spot on the top of the table shows that we're in the ascendancy. You know, we were down in in fourth or fifth, whatever it was, a few a few couple of months ago. I think we were something like nine points off the top. So we're we're a team in ascendancy, whereas Hull and Burr, Hull and Burr, they've been up at the top, and now okay, we're not slipping down the table. But now they're not top, um, and it shows that we're the ones who are in the biggest form, and we're in the top form. We're the ones who are going up and up, and we're the ones to beat now. And I think that has a, a, a huge psychological um, effect. Uh, and if we were to then maybe drop points and drop back down to second or third, um, then that kind of hinders that a little bit. And I think it, I think it puts a bit more pressure on on Burr and Hull, um, knowing that we are the, we are the, the form team in the league, uh, um, which is, can only be good for us. Um, Note for editor, Adam, you might want to just crop what Bromer said a bit because if we win every game, we're definitely not guaranteed to win the league because Middlesbrough have a game in hand still. So. Yeah, but no, we play Middlesbrough. Oh, yeah, true. Ah, Actually, yeah, I'm trying to be clever. No, I was concerned. <laughs> not for the editor. We please done, leave that we have, in. <laughs> we have done similar... We have done similar stupid we have, things. Before. but you were incorrect like, on this occasion. The bloody Monday night fiascos. <laughs> When none of us knew when Burnley put it. You're right to highlight it, but yeah, you're still wrong. So I'm pipe down. I want to go back to Barton because I want to do these tweets. I should have known when we were talking about Barton. So I'm also going to ask the three of you to do Barton in one word. So I'll run through some of the replies and then come to you so you've got a couple of minutes to think. To come back to Joey Barton then, um, on Twitter earlier I asked people to get in touch with their descriptions of Joey Barton in one word. And the reason I did this was so that I could engineer a quick plug for the article I wrote on Joey Barton, which is in the new issue of When the Ball Moves and is also on long, online even. We'll put it in the show notes. But some of the responses we got, and I'll, I'll ask um, the panel as well, but some of the responses we got included camera savvy, chief bastard winder-upper, not really one word, um, Bay, omelette, inspirational, winner, tireless, immense, misunderstood, free transfer from QPR, again, that's not really the name of the game, all right, which is interesting, redeemed, mature, a rebel, paragon, someone's obviously showing off how many books they've read there, relentless, backbone, sexy, from Robbie Kopak of the Not Ain't Ever podcast, tenacious, someone said mom, I don't know if that means man of the match or they actually want Joey Barton to be their mom, <laughs> unquestionable, smart, winner, baller, some really good responses to this, um, Kevin we'll start with you, Joey Barton in one word, can you better any of those? Uh, mine's majestic. Um, I think it, it that that uh, that describes both his the way he plays, uh, the way he conducts himself on the pitch, and the way he conducts himself off the pitch. A couple more that we we got as well: commitment, amazing, heroic, winner. A couple of people said God. I'm not sure we should be calling people God after what happened last time. Class, consummate, and um, someone who supports another club said cockwomble. <laughs> James, what's your Joey Barton in one word? Good for steady. It's very boring, but I think it's also that very true. Very boring. I think it's even more difficult from the fact that almost every other word in the dictionary <laughs> has been taken by James. Now he's going to find it even more difficult because I've got even more to go through. There's not really many terms left, is there? So No. Uh, a couple of people said legend, an awesome engine, quality, passionate. Lots of very good responses. Thanks to everyone who got in touch. Um, Natalie, if you can think of a word that hasn't been used already to describe Joey Barton. I don't think I've heard you list this one, but I'm going to say superior. Superior works quite well. I'd go for leader. We've been talking about him being a leader. I think that epitomises what he's been all about um, this season. Uh, while we're talking about tweets, we might as well go into Natalie's tweet of the week. And there's been a lot of debate among the team about what to have as tweet of the week this week. So hopefully people will think it's a good one. 
Well, hopefully we will. There has been, um, as we probably expected, quite an exceptional number of good tweets this week. Um, quite a lot of them were not suitable for family. I wonder why that yeah. is, although I have just sworn about twice in three minutes. Yeah, yeah, some Sorry. of these went Apologies. a little bit further than the slight swear words that that, uh, that Jamie used. Um, we also had quite a lot of really good tweets which we decided we couldn't use because they are just basically really good pictures which are quite difficult to um, talk about on the podcast There's and get across. There's a couple that we've retweeted from Nornetta yes. as well, so go and have a look. There is. So we've gone for, um, between us, one tweet today. He's from um, it's just says he's called Rob. So who knows what his full name is, but his Twitter handle is Rob and a load of numbers. So hi, Rob. You have won Tweet of the Week this week for this gem, which says, Paul Lambert, quote, Burnley had a head start on us financially, unquote. And then Rob says, no, Paul, we just used our money wisely. You didn't. Thanks a lot to Rob with no name for that tweet, the win tweet of the week this week. Um, James, it's difficult to know where to start unpicking Paul Lambert's quite strange comments. I was noticed people were using the hashtag deluded Lambert on Twitter, which I think is a throwback to his villa days. Yeah, I think, you know, I think on the face of it, when you look at Burnley and, and what we've spent, you see obviously Andre Gray as a, as a headline. Um, and, you know, we've obviously then gone and spent again on Tarkovsky in the in the January window. But, obviously, we don't know yet what we'll actually get for Danny Ings since Liverpool are still trying to argue over what's a drop in the ocean to them. But I think when you look at the, the balance of the business at the end, they, they, won't, they won't really be a, you know, a, a, a massive amount of money we've spent there. Um, I think we would have almost recouped it all in, in fees that we brought in. And then when you look at our wage structure, obviously, I think obviously Joey Barton's given one of the best indications of quite how tight it is when he said when he first came about having to fit into the pay structure. I'd, I'd suggest that Rover's wage budget is probably significantly bigger than ours, you know, two times if not more bigger. Um, so to say that we've spent more money than they have and we're leading the way, I think is ridiculous. And you know, maybe Paul Lambert doesn't realise that the budget constraints we work out at Burnley because obviously he's been at Villa where he spent a lot of money. He, he probably only knows what big money is and uh, he's probably never had to, to really work on a budget in the, over the last decade. So I think he's you know got a bit of a skewed view there and it's clearly not accurate. It would be quite interesting to see the, the budget side by side actually. Obviously we've just come out of the Premier League so we'd have been paying higher wages but I'm sure the players had closer in their contracts to see the wages come down after relegation. I think Rovers have got rid of some of their big earners as well. Obviously, Jordan Rhodes has just gone. Paul Robinson was probably on quite a bit of money there as well. Um, but yeah, particularly weird for someone at Rovers to be talking about us having more money than them when Jack Walker bankrolled the club for 25 years and bought them a Premier League title. I just thought it was... Crazy, really, Kevin, but a, a sign of the, the relative positions of where the clubs are now. Yeah, I think that's, that's definitely a comment from a manager who's uh, not got too much um, knowledge of the history of the uh, of our two clubs. I think he said, he said himself for the match, he, he doesn't really know much about um, about this fixture, and that, 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 that was quite telling. But yeah, it, it's, it's, it's quite nice to have shoes be on the other foot uh, for once. And I think... You know, James is talking about saying we've not spent much money compared to them. Um, but I, th- I think that's that's kind of a point. I think it's that we've invested our money very wisely. We've been able to recoup a lot of what we spent, and certainly on on transfer fees in the last um, in the last year or two. And I think the way we've invested money has been a lot more sensible. Okay, we've gone up and we've we've come straight back down twice in in the last um, kind of five or six years or whatever it is. But I think both times we've 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 invested relatively smart smartly. We've not got into a situation like Rovers where we've um, almost you know bankrupt the club in, in so, so many millions of debt. Um, and yeah, I think it's, it's like we were talking about last week with with Bolton. It's it's really nice that we're we're such a well well run club with uh, with solid finances. And I think you can be quite confident if we get promoted again, we'll we'll still you know continue to be very sensible with how we invest our money. And I think. I think the way Burnley's run, I think when we spend money, it's very much seen as an investment um, rather than let's go out and spend a lot of money on a player and hope it hope it comes off. And if it doesn't, then um, 
well we'll have to deal with that in the future. I think every every, every penny we spend is seen very much as as an investment. I think that's fair. I mean, I, I don't want to get ahead of my, myself and suggest that promotion is um, nailed on now, but I was listening to someone talk about the money that we spent the last two times we've been promoted. A lot of it's been on infrastructure, and they were suggesting that this might mean if we go up again, we'll be able to spend money on players, and we shall be on a really strong position. But um, I also saw a tweet from a, a Middlesbrough fan of all clubs saying, it's no surprise Burnley top of the league with the money they've spent. After they've just spent untold millions of pounds on on Jordan Rhodes, and goodness knows what they're paying the likes of Gaston Ramirez and Stuart Downing in wages, and it's the lack of self awareness. It's just incredible from fans of some other clubs, particularly Burrow. When you look at the look at the value for money between Rhodes and Gray, um, and well, I think there's only one winner there for this season at least. Exactly. I mean, we'll probably do Rhodes in, in more detail when it comes close to the Borough game but they were obviously hoping he was going to score the goals that were going to get them promoted and it hasn't worked yet so in terms of buying Andre Gray for 6 million and getting 20 odd goals out of him and Jordan Rhodes for 12 and getting 1 it's pretty obviously it was the best value uh, Natalie, in terms of... we, we actually paid 9 billion for Gray <laughs> 9 billion trillion there was actually a new measure of currency I think invented to describe how much we spent on Andre Gray. Burnley signing Andre Gray rescued our economy. <laughs> that's, that's what's been propping it up for the last few years, isn't it? The Andre Gray transfer fee. All that money slashing around. Um, Natalie, in terms of the, the financials, uh, Rove's obviously had the benefits of Jack Walker and now they've got the Venkies. He thought they were onto a sure thing, but obviously just don't know what they're doing. It makes such a difference, doesn't it, to have fans in charge of the club and, alright, we sing songs about Jack Walker sometimes but he was the same, he was someone who loved the club and got it and invested heavily whereas Rovers now are in control of foreign owners who don't necessarily understand the club, don't necessarily understand football and that's what's seen them start falling down the leagues Absolutely and it's quite interesting to look at the comparison between Burnley and other clubs and see how quickly the downfall is of some clubs like Bolton Blackburn who have sort of capitulated financially compared to how slowly Burnley have increased their um, financial standard and made themselves into a really strong, sound business. I'm just really, really fed up with the whole financial discussions about Burnley. And I've got a lot of sympathy for our board because rather than getting credit for how well they've built our business and how well they run the club, albeit they do get it from some um, small circles, it feels to me like they can't win. When they go up in the Premier League, Premier League they are criticised from all angles. From us as well, you know, we've been frustrated as fans, but from, you know, the major media saying they're never going to survive because they've not spent any money, they didn't give it a good go. And people really criticising them for not throwing everything at them and just bankrupting the club to try and survive. But then you go down to the down to the Championship, and they're all like, "Oh, you know, they've you know they've done it well, and you know they, they've um, you know they've got a sound business model." But oh, now they're throwing money at the at the Championship to try and buy their league. It's like, well, what are they supposed to do? You know, they're trying to do their best, and they just can't win. Jamie, um, you you mentioning Venkis just reminds me of a fact that a few years ago they were trying to sign Ronaldinho and David Beckham, and now <laughs> they've got Chris Brown. <laughs> Yeah, well, mentioning Venkis just makes me think of that chicken advert, to be honest. Speaking of which, how great was it to see um, David Dunn's face on Sky Sports? after? I know you were at the game, but I'm sure you watched it back afterwards. He looked absolutely crestfallen. I was upset when he was on, on the telly at the start of the game, but I was delighted afterwards. It was pretty amazing. Although, I have to say, actually, I do think... I do think he did, I don't know how he did it, but he did manage to stay incredibly professional throughout the, the interview. You know, he did manage to bring, he must have been spitting. He managed not to he cry, to, which, yeah, which was very, very good. But he did say some good things about us. He said some good things about Dyche, and he, he sort of conceded that we were the superior team in Lancashire now. And I think if I was as big a fan as he is of them, I don't think I'd have been able to do that. No, it's been quite interesting. The last two derbies have had a. David Dunham obviously is now back at Rovers in professional capacity and obviously is a club legend. Before that they had Paul Robinson who was furious about being at Turf Moor and now he plays for us which is is weird but um, I'm sure for a lot of fans James the fact that Dunn was there I know that he was in a, a box behind some of the Burnley fans as well so they could see him during the game I'm sure that just made it even sweeter. 
Sweeter. Sweeter. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it was obviously any Burnley fan that remembers the derbies that he played in would would love to to have been able to have a camera on him to watch him um, when that Andre uh, Andre Gregor went in. But personally, I actually think it's maybe a bit of a shame we didn't get more derbies when when Dunn was playing because if we could have had you know someone like a Joey Barton on our side consistently. It would have been such a great little rivalry to have players that you could actually associate with the games. Um, because obviously as much as we hate him as Burnley fans, I think having characters like that in the derby does make it, you know, last longer in the memory as well. I think that's fair. I mean the last couple we've seen like the the Shoulder Rovers team at the start of it and I, I genuinely don't recognise some of the names. And I, I like saying I follow championship football relatively closely. But the guy they were playing in midfield, Lenny Han, I've absolutely no idea. Never heard of him before. <laughs> and it's it's not really any surprise that a midfield with David Jones and, and Joey Barton who've got all those Premier League experience all those Premier League appearances and all that experience that they ended up coming out on top. Um and Kevin in James was just saying about the characters of the Derby though, I, I suppose we're now getting those with Barton's played in two wins, Arfield scored the winner at Ewood. If we were to play them again in the near future and those players were there, they are the players that we would now look at as our sort of David Dunn's, even though they're not necessarily local. Definitely, yeah. And I think it's a little bit like I was saying earlier, as, you, you know, as well as those two, you've also got Heaton who grew around this area. You've got Keane who's, who's had a, a foot in both camps, so he's seen it from both sides. So he'll have a really good understanding of how the, how the rivalry works. And I think it's that's a really another really key thing about the way Sean Dice is managed the club and the way we've built a squad is that we've got a very consistent set of players now, I think, at the moment. And I can't, I can't see those players being prized away in, in, in the near future. I think one of the key things about the way we work is I don't think we're, we're a team of stars. I don't think what, what, what we mostly are is that we are a team. Um, and while you might you might send Scott Arfield off to a, a a Premier League club, and he might not, he might not do anything. But I think it's for, it's the fact that he's in our team and the way that we work that that is so that makes the whole team work. And I think that's that's a really killer thing. So that means we can keep that that same knit of, um, group of players. Uh, and when the derby comes round and around again, those players pick up that experience of the derby. Um, and and that, like you say, that that really that's what brings it to life. It's those characters who know the derby and know what it means. Um, and and, and now know what it's like to, to beat Blackburn. One player who, of course, got his first little taste of derby action was Frederick Overstad. Um We talked on on the podcast about Freddie, or Brian the Norwegian, as Natalie's dad refers to him. And we talked about him was all wanting to see a bit more of him. I suppose we didn't want a, an injury to Dave Jones to be the reason why he came in. Um, how do you think he, he did, Kevin? He had about half an hour. Yeah, we talked uh, against Bolton how he came on and, and straight away he had that real comfortable pass uh, up to Andre Gray. And it looked like he was just it was just on a training ground, and it was exactly the same again um, against Blackburn. He came on and straight away he got the ball in pretty much in the penalty area and just just casually just skipped around three or four of those players. And it, again, he just looked so comfortable, looked so so at home, and it just looked like it was a just kicking around on a training pad ground. It, it certainly didn't look like. Um, he'd come in into a, this big edgy edgy derby where it's a very scrappy game, um, and I think it's really really nice to see such a confident player um, on the ball, particularly when he's he's not played so much, and particularly coming into such a big match at such a key point. Uh, it was really great to see how confident he was, and I'd, I'd really like to see a little bit more of him. I think um, Jones is this probably most people probably listen to the podcast after the Fulham game. Uh, I think John, Jones is touch and go, and I'd be quite, I'd be quite happy to see other stuff come in actually and see what he, what he can do from the start. Well, that's my next question. Obviously, um, the word is Dean Marnie is going to be fit, which is good. Even even if Jones is only out for a couple of games, at least there will be options in there. Um, Natalie, what were your thoughts on Overstad's little cameo? It seems to be fitting in very well, but offers something a bit different to what we've got in midfield. I really, really like him. We've said this before when we've seen him this season. Um, he has impressed me every single time he has come on the pitch. Um, not to be deterred by my earlier controversial revelation regarding the captain say, I have another prediction with this particular setup. I genuinely believe that we are heading towards a Barton and Alderstad 
central midfield. Um, I think that that's, I just think that's the way we're heading. I, I feel like he is a really key player in Deitch's plans and I think that's where we're going. It will be fascinating to see um, if if he goes with Overstad over Marnie, if Marnie's fit to play full role. Obviously he's not um, had the minutes off the bench that that Overstad has. Um, James as Kev says a lot of people will listen to this after the form game but what what would your thinking be for the for the midfield assuming Jones isn't available for Fulham and maybe even Huddersfield at the weekend? I think, first of all, you go to starting Overstad with, with Barton. Um, clearly, Overstad's ahead of the ahead of Marnie at the moment in the picking order because, you know, I, I believe, and I don't know, no one said anything about Marnie being injured at the weekend, so he was out of the eight, he was out of the squad. Um, through, you know, not, not being picked basically. So it'd be hard to see him leapfrog from, from not on the bench to, to start him when Overstad was on the bench. But um, yeah, I think it'll be Barton and Overstad and then obviously Marnie will come on the bench if Jones isn't available. Um, two high-scoring teams, Burnley v Fulham, Kevin, two, the two high-scoring teams in the league, I think. So would that suit Overstad maybe a bit more? He's obviously a very attacking player, whereas Marnie's maybe a more a more safe option. Marnie and Barton also potentially a bit too similar to play as a pair. Yeah, I think um, yeah, Overstad clearly likes the ball at his feet. He looks like he's a very comfortable player, um, bringing the football forward in that, in that respect. I think yeah, he's he's certainly going to appreciate a, a more open game. I think where we can influence um, influence with more proactively rather than reactively. I think. Is, is there any concern over us not having Jones? Obviously, he polarizes opinion, and we've talked about this on the podcast a lot. But one of the last times he didn't play. We got turned over at Hull. He wasn't the only player missing that day, but I thought it was notable that Jones wasn't in the team and we got humped, essentially, by what was a good team. Is there any concern that we might miss Jones more than people expect? Or would you be quite happy with Overstad and Barton, Kevin? Yeah, it's definitely been one of our most consistent and better performers this season, but I think we can definitely get better without him. I think, yeah, it'd be, it'd be really nice to see uh, what what all the stad can bring um and what how how the team does does work without him i think obviously he had that bit of a mistake against uh, against bolton and there was a, there was a couple of other uh, there was twice in the i think it was in the first half against blackburn where he he missed a few interceptions which almost led to uh, to goals i think one of the the first penalty appeal he, he missed an interception um which i've i've only seen it in in real time once but it looked a little bit um on Jones like um but uh, yeah I, I i'm not, i'm not too concerned about if if he's out purely because I, i'd like to see all the stars um given a chance but that's not i think earlier in the season there might have been a few fans saying yeah it's, it's good if he's out because we get Jones out of the team but it's it's nothing like that i'm a big huge admirer of Jones but it's purely that i just like to see all the stars get a, a 90 minutes i suppose there is a chance that this this change that I think we're all expecting Overstad to come in for Jones. It could be the sort of change that takes us on a level, similar to the changes that we made at the back when me moved across to Partner Kane and then Stephen Wall came in. It might, it might move us on. It might be a revolution in the Birmingham midfield. You just never know how these things are going to work out. Um, looking ahead to these two away games, then Fulham and Huddersfield, two teams in the bottom of the league. James, I saw um, a graph this week showing our results against teams in the bottom eight or so. And I think we've beaten all of them, home and away, that we've played so far. So you've got to be thinking this is another great chance to get two more wins on the board. We have, yeah, that's, that's, that is definitely true. Um, I think that the only concern about going to Fulham is that they are a team who score quite a lot of goals. Um, they've actually scored 53 goals, which is only one less than us. Obviously, on on the same hand, they also conceded a lot. They conceded 58. So it could really be one of those games that you could see being wide open. Um, It's going to be really interesting how we approach it um, to control it. You know, you're playing a side that they're probably going to be safe, aren't they? Because I think the bottom three aren't going to catch up to anyone. Um, But they're still probably too close for comfort, so they'll be looking for points. So they're going to go at the game. They, you know, they've got a knack for scoring, um, and we'll be thinking it's an away game. We just want to be controlled and uh, and win. It's going to be. It's definitely going to be interesting to see how we approach it because if we both went uh, for the gung ho option, it, it could be a really big scoring game. Where I'd imagine, obviously, we'd come out on top. But 
they could really be some goals. It will be a, an interesting test for the defence, which seems like a strange thing to say about a team that's in the bottom half, but as you say, they've scored a lot of goals, they've got dangerous players, Ross McCormack's probably a top-end championship player, I'm not sure what he's doing, slumming it at form really, Dembele is a very good attacking player as well, they've got players who can hurt teams, and I think it'll be a, a good chance for our defence to show what they're made of, ideally of course we'd get an early goal and then maybe sit in um, a little bit. Uh, Natalie, we're talking about a goal fest, and two of the games we've had away at teams in the bottom half recently we stuck a few past MK Dons and a few past Brentford so would you be confident of us racking up another big score at Fulham or do you think it might be tighter? I think it's going to be tighter to be honest um, I, I, whilst they are in the bottom half I, for some reason I, I don't know whether I can justify this in any way or not but I just don't see Fulham um, as you know the same level of a team as, as like Dons and, and you know those kind of teams that we've, we've given a, a really good hiding to so I don't expect it to be a 4-5 niller but I do expect us to come out on top I think it's going to be a hard game um, I think we've got two really really tough fixtures this week Um but, we, you know, we're on top of the table for a reason. We're consistent. We are hard to break down. We are really solid in defence. And Fulham, I think, will be more nervous about the game than we will. I guess the only concern is, you know, Fulham really haven't got anything to lose. They're not going to get relegated. They probably, you know, they're not going to get in the playoffs. So they can sort of play with some freedom and start looking to build on next season. Whereas we've got the pressure of automatic promotion to go for and as we saw on Saturday that can see some nerves creeping into our side It will be interesting to see how we react to now being the de facto leaders having survived a whole weekend at the top and gone back top after somebody else took over the place and that puts a slightly different dynamic on it. Um, Kevin Huddersfield as well, a ground that we've had a couple of shocking performances at under Dyche and in, in recent years it's been a little bit of a bogey ground but again a club in the bottom half of the league. We don't want to sign too too carried away, but we could be looking at two wins from here. And if we're going to get promoted and challenge for the title, surely six points has got to be the goal. Or would you be quite happy with four? Uh, to be honest, I think the the stage of the season we're in, the form we're in, uh, the position we're in, and the ge- the goal we're aiming towards, you've got to be be looking for for six points and dropping any points in being in these games is going to be a disappointment like i say we're we're in such high strong form at the moment uh we're a form team in the league um by some distance i think and yeah if you if we drop any points it will be a disappointment in 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 these fixtures i suppose at this this stage of the season you start looking at what games other teams have got um might be beneficial at whole aren't in action midweek because they've got a cup game against Arsenal so their game is off which means that we will be in the top two whatever happens on Tuesday night I think doesn't it no I don't think Brian can catch us as well interestingly are we are we are we hoping for a whole win to give them a bit to give them an extra game to play I would um, think so I would think so because yeah. then they've also got the I think the quarter final will be at the weekend as well wouldn't it so their their game at home to MK Dons would also be postponed so they'd have games in hand but we would hopefully have yeah. a, a nice little cushion. Definitely. Obviously, the flip side of that is it might give them a bit of a confidence boost. But I think, yeah, I, I agree with you that it's it's. I think overall it'd be better for us because it's those those extra games which we have to type uh, pack into a tighter tighter period of time. A draw at Arsenal was an awful result for them. Like, I, I don't understand why one of their players didn't kick the ball in their own net in the last minute <laughs> avoid replay. It's the last thing they wanted. <laughs> Natalie. Uh, moving on to predictions then, do you agree with Kevin that six points is the is the aim here? Undoubtedly, yes. Um, we shouldn't be aiming for anything less than that. You know, if we've got designs on, on going up automatically, we should be going into every single game wanting to win and expecting to win. Um, I agree with Kevin. I think it's going to be two wins out of two. Um, do you want to give us some scores as well? Or are you happy to stick with the two wins? Sorry, I will still keep being vague and just say no. Um, I'm going to say two one away at Fulham, and uh, putting some demons to bed at Huddersfield. I'm going to say three 0 I think we've lost James, so I'll I'll predict the Andre Gray hat trick for James. It's basically like he's on the podcast. <laughs> Kevin gives a couple of scores to round us off then. 
Um, yeah, 2-1 at Fulham and an edgy 1-0 at um, Hoods. Excellent. I, I'm, I agree. I think two wins is very doable here. And if we do have designs on the top two, I think we need to certainly maintain the unbeaten run. Um, but that's it for, for this week's non and Hour podcast. We'll be back after the Fulham and Huddersfield games, hopefully with more wins to talk about. But it's been a Derby Day Victory podcast. We're making um, a bit of a habit of these now. It's six years, I think, since Rovers beat us. So something to cherish, certainly. And hopefully it'll be a long time before we play them again. Um, but that's it for this week's Non and Ever podcast. Get in touch if you've got anything to to say to us. The email address is the same as always, podcast at net. You can tweet us as well at net. Thanks to Natalie, James and Kevin for joining us. Thanks to everyone who tweeted in earlier and we'll be back next week thanks for listening bye Rovers have got rid of all of our... <laughs> what the hell thanks for that I'm dying oh my god start again shall <laughs> And it it might be raining, so they'll all be wet. It'll be like a tattoo video, you know that. That's <laughs> two lesbian Russians. <laughs> Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.